What a great morning so far. Amen. It's just been a good, it's been to be good to, been good to be together. Yeah, it's easy for you to say. Um, but so grateful for all of you this morning. Grateful that you're here. If you're joining us for the first time, first time in a long time, you are our honored guests. Uh, we're so glad that you are with us today. There's some visitor forms in your bulletin, and we'd love for you to take the time out to fill that out for us. Give us some more information about yourself so that we can give you some more information about the church. Uh, also, for members and, and regular attenders, on the other side is a prayer request form, and we do take those uh, very seriously. If you want to fill one of those out for us this morning, uh, turn it in uh, to the Welcome Center or to me or somebody that knows what they look like they're doing. Um, say that right? Looks like that. Anyway, I should probably just go to my notes. But... Uh, we want to pray for you as a church. We take those very seriously. So if there's anything on your heart, a request, or even a praise report that you would love for us to thank God uh, for you with, we'd love to do that. Uh, I'm going to do something real fast that we haven't really done before, and I hope this doesn't weird anybody out, but it's just really on my heart this morning, and, and I want to do that. Luther, would you come up on the, on the stage real fast? Uh, I just want to pray over this man. Uh, many of you know this man. He is uh, an evangelist of evangelists, and he loves the Lord with all of his heart, and he loves other people with all his heart. And um, he's, been, he's been dealing with some physical ailments that have kind of stopped him from being able to do that. He's had a paralyzed vocal cord, and so I just want to pray uh, for healing. He had a surgery this last Wednesday. Uh, signs look good, but we'd love for the, the Holy Spirit and the great healer to come and do him now and, and really fix this problem so we can get back to rocking out for the Lord, Amen. literally. Uh, God, we pray over this man now and just ask God that you would uh, anoint this man's voice and his cords and everything that might be wrong, Father. Would you heal this man? One movement from you, one word from you, one touch from you, God, could change his life forever. Uh, we want him to use his voice, God, to sing your praises, to tell people about Jesus. Even now, God, with the Spirit, anoint his body. Even now, would a warmth begin? And would it, would it er eradicate, Lord, and erase anything that might be stopping him from sharing the gospel with others? Please make it so. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Love you, buddy. Mm. Mm. All right, we are... We're in a, a series called uh, The Story. It's our current sermon series. I forgot my book, though, this morning. I brought my Bible. What a fool. But uh, I hope that you are enjoying the series. We're almost through the Old Testament, church. Well done. Many of you have probably not read through the Old Testament in chronological order and seen how it fits together. I hope that you have learned all of that and then some over the last couple of months. Next week, Nathan and I will wrap it up together uh, as we study the, the book and story of Nehemiah. But today it's an exciting chapter. Chapter 19, we kind of go back uh, before Esther, and, uh, and look at the story of Ezra. It's an exciting story. I hope that you are uh, excited about it as well. Um, let me begin by telling you this, uh, this story. See, the last couple of chapters of the story have revolved around God's people being in something called the exile. It's kind of a weird word that we don't really know much about, but it's a powerful word, and it reminds me of, of this experience and this story. Uh, a family had a number of kids from the neighborhood over one evening. And it was getting later and later into the night, and the kids, as they do, kept getting louder and louder. And so the dad eventually reached his breaking point and yelled out, everybody out. A bunch of kids came downstairs, headed home. Next, the dad yelled, and everybody else to bed. About 10 minutes later, a little silhouette came out of one of the rooms and in the slightest whimper said, um, can I please? The dad immediately interrupted the child and said, get back in there and go to sleep. About five minutes later, the same little figure came out and again, a little whimper, can I just go to bed already, the dad said. About that time, the doorbell rang. It was his neighbor. Have you seen my son, Jimmy, he asked. 
No, I haven't, the dad replied. A desperate little cry came from upstairs. I'm here, I'm here, but he won't let me go, and this isn't my home. See, that's exile. That's what Israel has experienced now for the last hundred years or so. Exile is an experience of estrangement. People who are in exile, they've been removed and separated from where they belong and where they long to be. If you are in exile, you are displaced and forced to exit a place that doesn't look or feel like home. You're supposed to exist there. You are separated and cut off from the people you love, from the places that bring you joy. We tend to think of exile in terms of refugees or immigrants, but it can happen spiritually, it can happen emotionally, it can happen relationally, and not just uh, physically. So you can be in the exact same place, and something can happen, and everything can feel totally out of place. That's exile. And that feeling can, can result in other feelings like isolation or maybe insignificance. The, 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 the gamut, the spectrum is huge, but exile is not a place that you want to be for very long. And it's not just something that we read about in Israel's story. It's something that's a part of our story, isn't it? These seasons, these moments where we feel out of place and out of touch and out of tune with what we care about and, what we, and, what other, and other people that, that care about us. It can be a broken heart, a broken home a broken body, maybe just a broken world around us, but we all know what it feels like to wish and to wonder if things could be different, long for them to be different. That's exile. And normally when you find yourself in exile, you ask this question, how, how did I get here? Reminds me of the time I was driving some students from Pepperdine to a church one spring break to do some mission work, and the church was east of L.A., we were driving all night long during the spring break, and, and I kid you not, late at night, we ended up at the Mexican border. If you know anything about geography at all, you know that Mexico is not east of L.A. So I just kept asking myself, like, how in the world did we get here? Last border, last international border, what? That's the same question that other people ask, right? Those in exile, they ask that question, how did, I, how did I get here? How did I end up divorced after those first few years went so well? How did I get here? How did I end up in so much debt or addicted to pain meds after I swore that would never happen to me? How did I end up here? How did I fall so far away from God or walk so far away from the church after that was such a huge part of my upbringing? How did I end up in this exile and I can't help but think that God's people in chapter 19 are probably asking themselves that very, very same question. How did we get here? How did we go from eating in God's garden to literally eating out of the garbage? How do we go from being conquerors in the promised land to captives in Persia's land? How did we end up at the Tijuana border? It's an important question to ask. But the more important question to ask is, how do you get out of there? How do you exit out of exile? Yeah, it's important to understand what led you to that point, but what I want to know now is how do I get out of this place and how do I get to a different point? How do you break free? How do you break out? How do you experience the opposite? How do you go from feeling isolated and insignificant to feeling included and infused? Well, I'm glad that you asked because chapter 19 will answer all those questions and then some. In chapter 19, God says some things to the people back then that directly apply to us now and that some of us probably really need to hear right now. 
He answers some pretty important questions. And he explains not only how you get to exile, but he explains how you're supposed to exit out of it. Let me pray for us before we dive in. Let's just ask God to kind of open our minds and our hearts in this moment. Father, we pray that you would speak to us through your word. These are books now that we are entering into that many of us have never read before. Would these words strike us, Lord, deep in our core? Would they speak truth powerfully into our hearts? Would they change us, Father? Would we hear you, as that song said, would we hear just one word from you through these words as we open up your word now? In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Are the things in chapter 19, if you want to read more, can be found in the books of Ezra, Zechariah, and Haggai. Not many of you quote those books to me very often. And I don't quote those books to you very often. They are books that we don't read a lot of and spend much time in. But I'm so excited, and I hope that that's about to change for you. See, in those books, we learn that sometimes exile is the direct result of disobedience. It's the direct result of you not doing what you know you should have done. And that was definitely the case here for the Israelites. See, for hundreds of years, God's people have been nothing but trouble. They refused to listen and obey. They refused to clean up their rooms. They refused to do their chores. They were your average, everyday teenage punk. Not like our teens, though. I mean, our teens aren't like that. But I've heard teens can be, can be like that. But as a result... Israel became a burden to God and a curse to other people. They were up to no good and they ended up becoming no good. And thus they ended up in exile. They ended up in a place where they were separated from the good things in life and from the good life. It was because they refused to obey. And some of us can relate to that. We need to be honest. We're in a type of exile right now. We're in a, in a place we don't want to be right now. Life isn't the way that it should be right now because we haven't obeyed God. We've gone against his will and we've gone against his ways. We've done things that have torn us apart and others apart. We've separated ourselves from the things that we love and from the people who love us. We've made poor decisions. We've just made a mess of things. You know that feeling? That position where it's like, yeah, this is my fault. I did that and there's no one else to blame but me. But here's the good news. If you are in that place, if you are in exile, in a place you don't want to be because of some disobedience, there's good news for you. I know how you entered into it, but guess what? You can exit out of it. The way you entered in was through you, but now the way you exit out will be through him. Let me show you what I mean. This is Zechariah 8, page 269 of our storybooks. This is what the Lord Almighty says. I will save my people from the countries of the east and the west. I'll bring them back to live in Jerusalem. They will be my people, and I will be faithful and righteous to them as their God. Then later on, he says this. Just as you, Judah and Israel, remember those two nations that were split apart? Just as both of you have been curses among the nations... Now I will save you, and you will be a blessing to those nations. See, exiting exile begins when you believe God's promise to you. And here's the promise. You are never so far from him that you cannot return back to him. Let me say that again. You are never so far away from God that you cannot, right now, in this moment, return back to God. Think about it. Everything that God's people had done up until this point, the last couple of months that we've been reading, the people have been a mess. Talk about, I mean, yeah, a disruptive little punk teenager. That, that would be nice compared to what these people have been. Yet here in this text, God says something amazing. He says, I'm going to bring you back. I want you back. I'm going to make you 
I'm going to make that happen. He says they're going to give him another chance. He won't allow that difficult chapter of their story. He won't allow the last three difficult chapters or the last 30 difficult chapters. He won't allow those chapters to be the end of their story. Like Arnold Schwarzenegger would say, I want you, Bach. Yeah, that didn't work. Okay. I mean, okay, God, God, you want, you want them back? God, have you read the story? Because these people are crazy. These people are disobedient fools. You sure you want them back? I mean, first of all, they broke your laws, then your heart. They walked out on you and refused to walk humbly before you. They didn't respond to your wooing or pay any attention to your warnings. You want them back? Are you sure? And although we might not take a group like that back, God's answer is always a definitive, yeah. He always says, I want them back. In fact, in one of Jesus' most powerful lessons describing God's love, he talked about a guy who did everything he could to distance himself from the father. It's the story of the prodigal son. Many of you know that, right? But this young boy cursed his father out. He told his father that he wished he was dead. He disobeyed his father. He wasted all of his father's money. He, he brought shame to the father's name. And yet after all of that mess, the father said, I want you back. I'll bring you back. I've got to have you back. Even after all that, the father was still waiting patiently still working hard to bring the boy back home. Even after all that, the father ran out to meet the son and he showered the son with his love and his embrace. Do we have a picture of that? This is one of my favorite pictures I've ever seen. This is your God. This is what he does. This is how he is. He always and forever will take you back. You are never so far from him that you can't return back to him. No matter what you've done, no matter how far you've drifted away, no matter how disobedient you have been, no matter how long the exile has lasted, you can come back. The truth is always the same. You are never so far that you can't return home. I don't care if you've walked the wrong direction your entire life. Today, in this moment, you can turn back and be back exactly where you're supposed to be. Right now, it can happen. Here's the crazy thing, church. Not only does God want you back, but he's going to do whatever it takes to get you back. He's going to go the extra mile to ensure that you will come back. On page 263 of the story, the Lord prompts the king of Persia to allow the people to go back home. Seventy years of exile, and now he says, okay, you guys can go back home. But in addition to that, the Lord also prompts the king of Persia to say this. Oh, and by the way, take a bunch of Persian goodies for the road trip. And here, here's some money to help with the rebuild project. He not only sends them back home, but he positions them to have success on their way back home. Does that make sense? And then later on in the story, if you, if you read this week, you, you came across a weird character named Tatanai. Well, he's, he's a, a leader in that region, and he's not very happy that the people are back. He's not very happy about this rebuild, so he sends a letter to the king of Persia. Like, you better stop this right now, or there'll be problems. The king of Persia says, really? Uh, actually, no. Uh, and Tat and I, you're going to be the one to fund the rest of the project. Thanks for asking. See, every form of opposition you face, everything that now is behind you because of your disobedience, right, that mess that's back here, that wake that we talk about in your life, it'd be hard to get through that stuff, wouldn't it? It'd be hard to climb over all those obstacles to get back to God. That's not how it is. God parted the seas. God made a way. There's a bridge now. You can go directly back to God. There's nothing that stands in your way. Isn't that what the cross teaches us? The cross is the bridge, the invite, the way back, the payment, the clearing. Nothing now 
Not your shame, not your sin, not even Satan himself can stop you from getting back to God. Nothing. It's all been removed. You are never so far from God that you cannot return back to him. I don't care how many women. I don't care how many drinks. I don't care how many marriages. I don't care how many years. I don't care how long the exile has lasted. You are never so far away you cannot return back. Never. No matter how disobedient, you can come home. You can be back right now. You can exit out of your exile if it's been caused by your disobedience. But this chapter gives us more than just that promise. It also helps us to understand our purpose. As a college minister, I used to spend hours sitting with students who were struggling with their calling. It's kind of a buzzword now, isn't it? What's my calling? We'd talk forever. We'd go around and around for hours trying to figure out how did God wire you personally and what should you probably do with yourself professionally? Well, this conversation typically took place after they got a bad grade. Woe is me! I have no direction. God has closed these doors on me. I have no idea why in the world I am in the world. They were like, you know, be like, okay, get off my floor, first of all. But many of us have wrestled with that same question at one level or another, right? Hopefully not with that same level of drama or desperation. But all of us have asked, why, God, did you make me? And what do you want from me? The answer is right here in chapter 19. See, first God makes a promise to us. You're never so far from me that you can't return to me. But exiting your exile also might mean you understand and live out God's purpose for you. The first comes in the form of a promise. The second comes in the form of a purpose. God's purpose for you, you exist to help others who are far from God return to God. So first it's about you. Part of your exile might be because you're at odds with God. And so you've got to come back to him. But you coming back to him isn't just about you coming back to him. It's about you dragging everybody else with you. It's about you taking everybody you know along for the ride. You are never so far from me that you can't return back to me, God says. But more than that, and really as a part of that, your purpose now is to help others to do the same. Okay, do you want to know why you're here? Do you want to know what your calling is? You want to know why on earth you're on the earth? You ready? I will take checks after this service for telling you this information. This is the question you've asked your entire life. You want to know why you're here? Help those who are far from God come back to God. That's it. That's all I got. That's your purpose. That's why you are here. Help those who are far from God get closer to God. Now, if you look at God's creation, if you look at your own family, you know he loves diversity. And so this calling is going to work itself out in different ways, but it's always going to be the same calling. So for some of you, that might happen through medicine. Maybe it happens through the arts or a service job. Maybe that means you're a mommy or you run a restaurant or, or you teach children. I don't care what job you have, and I'm, I'm going to go on a limb. I don't think God cares what job you have. I don't think he cares what your major is. I don't, care he, I don't think he cares what your career might be because none of those are your true calling. Your calling is bigger than that. Your calling is better than that. Your calling should be a part of all of that. You exist to help those who are far from God get back closer to God. And if you've got to take care of that yourself this morning, then let's take care of that because we've got some business to do. And the business is to live out this purpose. Look at the bottom of page 269. This is Zechariah 8.20. It's what the Lord Almighty says. Many peoples and the inhabitants of many cities will yet come. 
the inhabitants of one city will go to another and say, let's go at once to entreat the Lord and seek the Lord Almighty. I'm going. Many peoples and powerful nations will come to Jerusalem to seek the Lord Almighty and to entreat him. That's what the Lord Almighty says. In those days, ten people from all languages and nations will take firm hold of one Jew by the hem of his robe and say, let's go with you. Can we please go with you? Because we have heard that God is with you. I love those verses. God wants many people and many nations to know him. God wants many people and many nations to love him. God wants many people and many nations to trust him. And you know how he's going to get through to the many? Through the one. Through you. Through me. Through us. This is God's great mission. This is God's greatest desire. This is God's big thing. And he wants desperately for his big thing to be your big thing. But I think a lot of us are in a type of exile right now. Life is just kind of off. We're feeling like something is out of place and out of whack. We don't feel like we're at home. We feel like we're separated from the things that bring us joy. Do you know why? It's not because you've been disobedient. It's because you've been distracted. One form of exile comes through disobedience. So we can remedy that right now. You're never so far away you can't come back. But the other type of exile is because you've just been distracted. You haven't been living out your purpose. You haven't been living out your mission. Look at the words of Haggai, page 266. This is what the Lord Almighty says. These people say, eh, the time hasn't really yet come for us to rebuild the Lord's house. And the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai. Oh, really? Is it a time for you yourselves to be living in your paneled houses while the Lord's house remains a ruin? No, this is what the Lord Almighty says. Give careful thought to your ways. You have planted much, but harvested little. You eat, but never have enough. You drink, but never have your fill. You put on clothes, but are not warm. You earn wages only to put them in a purse with holes in it. That's what the Lord Almighty says. Give careful thought now to your ways. Go up to the mountains, bring down the timber, get to work. Build my house so I may take pleasure in it and be honored. You expected much, but see, it turned out to be very little. What you brought home, I blew away. Do you want to know why, declares the Lord? Because my house remains a ruin while each of you is busy with your own house. Those are some heavy words. So Cyrus, king of Persia, he allows basically 50,000 Jews to leave Persia to go back to Jerusalem. They take this little road trip, right, from Babylon back to Jerusalem. As you can imagine, they're zealous and excited as they get to rebuild their lives and rebuild the temple. And at first, God's big thing is their big thing. They put God back at the center of their life. They put the temple back in the center of their city. Why? So that many nations and many people would be blessed. But over time, eh, they kind of lost their zeal. Over time, they kind of lost their motivation. Over time, they became preoccupied with their own personal projects. Say that five times fast. Over time, they started to focus entirely on their own little things instead of God's big thing. See, God wanted to draw the many in through the one, but they kind of lost sight of the one and got distracted. So day after day, a few workers would show up and then a few less. The temple work started eventually. Nobody showed up there. God's temple became insignificant. The advancement of God's kingdom became an afterthought. The sharing of God's glory became secondary. And a week passed, then a month passed, and then a year, and then two years, then five years, then ten years. For 16 years, the people who had moved back into Jerusalem refused to live out their calling. They got back from that exile only to enter into another form of exile. And did you hear how the Lord described that exile? Like you eat all this great stuff, but you never really 
satisfied. You drink all this wine, yet you're never really satisfied. You got the state-of-the-art security systems, but you never really feel safe. You got four 401k plans, but you don't really feel secure. Do you know why that is? Do you know why you're in this form of exile right now? Because you're not living out your purpose. When you don't live out your purpose, things are going to feel off. And your purpose is to take those who are far from God and bring them back to God. It doesn't matter how much you eat or drink or accumulate or accomplish. If God's big thing is not your big thing, then you're going to feel isolated and insignificant. So the people are just kind of there like, eh, whatever, I don't care. This is not an anti-wood like wood paneling sermon. It said paneled houses. If you like wood paneling, if you like the 70s, cool. I mean, keep, keep there, stay there. But this paneled houses, it was just their stuff. All they cared about were their little projects as opposed to the Lord's big purpose. Does that make sense? So he sends Haggai. It's like, Haggai, you got to go wake him up. And Haggai comes with this message. Folks, God's mission, it's not an option. That's why you were made. Like a fork doesn't just decide one day, he's not going to be a fork anymore. It's like, it's not an option. You're going to be used to feed me. The same is true for you. You have been made for a purpose, and if you don't live that purpose out, things are going to be off. But just think about this for a second with me. There's got to be more to this life than just like taking the weeds out of my grass, right? Like, my neighbor had a cool little thing. You know, it's like, that, that's my life. That's why Jesus died on the cross for me. My life's got to be more than just going to work every day, just kind of punching the clock, doing what I do, and then leaving, only do it all again the next day. My life's got to be more than that. My life's got to be more than, than just these crazy things that fill it up all the time. It's got to be about more than just checking my phone a thousand times a day, thinking that someone sent me a message or liked a post or sent me a friend request. Like, that's my purpose? That's, that's why I'm here? That's the abundant life? No, 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 no. The abundant life is you living out God's promise that you're never so far away you can't come back, and then devoting everything you have and everything you are to helping others experience the same. That's why you're here. And if you can do it while you're, then go ahead. But you got to do it. You got to do it. It's a form of exile because you've been distracted, not necessarily because you've been disobedient. But when you live out his purpose, I think you're going to exit that exile. So let's talk honestly for a church, as a church, just for a minute here. About six months ago, we laid out something called the power of one. Has anybody seen this before? Anyone? Anyone? You're probably sick and tired of me talking about this stuff. It was just a series of seven challenges, uh, seven disciplines that the staff came up with to help you kind of grow in your faith and to measure and at least kind of determine whether or not you're becoming more of a disciple. And I'm so proud of the way that, that you guys are living out some of these things. I'm so proud of the way that you are faithfully giving one dollar uh, every week. So what we ask as a church is that when you leave, you give a dollar and you put it in the bin on your way out. We take that money on Monday. It's anywhere from like three fifty to six fifty, given the week, depending on how generous you guys are. But um, we we take that money and we give it to a family in need on Monday. It's awesome. This last week we decided to give it to a, a single mom. I think had five girls, and she's just struggling for clothes. Uh, and so we said, here, take this money and just go buy some clothes. On behalf of West Balls, you know, we we just want you to to be able to do that for your girls. I'm just so proud of the way you're doing that. I'm so proud of the way that every month you are faithfully bringing donated items to the sanctuary that we then in turn give out to local nonprofit ministries so we can partner with them and support them. I'm so proud of the way that you're doing that. We're a little short on, on kids' underwear for this month. Uh, could you bring those? New. 
guys were like, well, I mean, <laughs> we want to support a ministry downtown. But I'm so proud of the way you've been doing that every month. I'm so proud of the way that so many of you serve this church once a month. It could be everything from a, a work day to volunteering in the kids' classrooms to picking up weeds on Thursdays to giving up all your Monday nights for Awana. So many of you serve so faithfully. I'm so proud of the way that we're doing so many of these things. But I'm just wondering, how are we doing on the last two? Maybe the most important two. See, when it comes to the final two challenges, inviting one person a month, something at this church, but more importantly, investing in one non-Christian family or friend over the next 12 months, how are you doing with that? How are those coming along? You see, we hardly ever talk about those, so my fear is we hardly ever do those. Yet those, I, I do think, those are probably the most important of all the seven. God's big thing is that his name is known, that his gospel is shared, that his life is experienced. How are we as a church doing with that? Are we inviting? Are we sharing? Are we bringing people to Jesus? We've got to ask ourselves these questions. So let me ask you, who have you invited recently to Bowles, to Awana? Hoedown's coming up. Who are you going to invite? If you haven't invited anybody yet, then take advantage of a few things we have coming up that you can invite people to. But more than that, whose life have you prayed over and chosen to bless and serve and just be a part of for the next 12 months? Name the non-Christian coworker or classmate or friend or neighbor that you have decided to bless over the next 12 months. If you can't name them, spend this week finding out who that person is. Pick a name this week because this is God's big thing. He wants many nations, many cities, many languages, many little tonights to know of his love. How's he going to get to the many? Through the one. Through you. Through me. Through us. This morning, though, in addition to reminding you about these things, I want to give you some tools. Maybe that will help you carry these things out. The first is uh, this little thing right here, a gospel card. We've got a bunch of these printed off. These are in the coffee mugs that we give to everybody. We've also just printed off a bunch more of these and have them out in the foyer. These are like little mini gospel tracks, if you will. Um, what I want you to do is I want you to take these and, and like give them to somebody or, or start a conversation with somebody because of these. Use these to bless somebody or to, or to start talking with somebody about things. Pass them out. Give them out. Use them. They talk about how Jesus makes sense of our past, present, and our future. That's good news. I want people to know about that. It talks about how Jesus can, can fix the broken relationships that we all have. Ours with creation, ours with other people, and ours with God. That's good news. I want you to share that with somebody. So take a card, drop it off. Maybe at lunch today, leave a fat tip and then leave this. Let's just see what God does with it. Pay for somebody's lunch and then leave this. I don't know. Just, just put this around. Get this out there. We have to believe that the, that the word of God is powerful, that the gospel is still powerful, that when we share with others the story of Jesus, that it's still powerful. So gospel cards, grab a bunch on your way out. We've got thousands of them out there. I want you to take them. I want to see them all over Littleton. But in addition to that, I also want to draw your attention to our summer series called Desire. This is going to be probably the easiest invite outside of like Christmas and Easter that you have to bring somebody to church. We're intentionally taking a two-month gap in between the Old Testament and the New Testament. It's not an intermission. You don't get to just go outside and eat popcorn. We're going to spend the next two months intentionally talking about the core desires of the human heart and how people try to look to everything but God to satisfy those desires. This is an easy invite to your friends. We're going to have a lot of props up here. We're going to do some funny things up here. This is a great time to say, hey, why don't you come and check out our church? Don't be ashamed, Christian. Christian. 
Don't be ashamed of your faith and don't be ashamed of this church. Talk about it, share it, invite somebody to it. I think it's gonna be powerful. God is doing great things through this church. My hope is literally that 10 people this week will grab you by the shirt and say, take me with you. It's never happened to me. So I know, anyway, if they don't grab you, why don't you grab them? In Jesus' name. But grab them. In love. But grab them. And if they don't want to come with you uh, on their own accord, maybe you've got to take the first step and help them to come with you. Make sense? So exile. This life that's marked by isolation and, and insignificance, insanity almost. It can look and feel and be caused by a lot of things. Some of it is our disobedience. Other forms of exile come because of our distractions. But exile can be caused by any number of things in between there. But God does not want you to live in that place forever. I don't care how you entered your exile, you can exit out of it today. God's promise to you as well as his purpose for you will help you to do just that. So even if you're just like little Jimmy, even if you're being held upstairs against your will, God will hear you. God will see you. And God will rescue you and exit you out of that exodus. Let me pray that will happen this morning. Father, I thank you for this church. I thank you for uh, the amazing men and women, Lord, the amazing disciples who make this church up. Thank you for our visitors today. Thank you for those who are joining us for the first time, for the first time in a long time, Lord. Whether we've been here forever or here for the first time, whether we've known you our whole life or whether we're just kind of getting to know you, I pray that today's message, today's worship, uh, the recognition of the seniors, Lord, I pray all of it will somehow minister to every person here that it will strengthen us, God, that it will solidify us. I pray for those who have been disobedient, that today they would hear your promise. They're never so far away from you that they can't return back to you right now. Would some of those people maybe even this morning give their life to you? We also pray, God, that all of us would live out your purpose for us. Help us not to just exist, but to thrive, to live abundantly, Father. Please make it so. Help us to know that we exist now to share this great news and to help bring those who are far back to you. Help us to do those two things, to be people of your promise and people living out your purpose. Help us to be that this week. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. We're gonna have some Stephen ministers available for you down here after service is over. If you wanna talk or pray, they would love to do that with you. Don't forget your dollar on the way out. Have an amazing week. God bless you. Be strong and courageous.